Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Life without hope. Now that's living hell. This is what real hope looks like. This is the the word that those hopeless people need to hear. This is the word that 3,000 people that try to commit suicide today, the 3,000 that will try to commit tomorrow, 3,000 that will try to commit on Monday, this is the word that they need to hear is that there is hope. It's real superpower. It's hope. There's hope. Welcome to Victims and Villains. This is the show where we talk nerd, we talk hope, and we speak nothing else. I am your host, Captain Nostalgia, and it's only been a couple weeks, but please help us a welcoming to our show, our resident Superman junkie, Mr. Ron Webster. Hello. So, Superman Action Comics 1000 just dropped this past week, and we're here talking all about it getting right into this meet but it is uh the last time we had you on the show we were talking about krypton and krypton has now been on for about five weeks what do you think of it so far dude i gotta be honest with you i've been so busy over the past five weeks that i have not seen it since the first episode and i'm i'm failing at this man i'm failing at the super geek thing (laughs) dude no i i totally understand you man like i i i had downtime at work so like I, i i caught up at work yeah so, like, that's the only reason I, I've seen all those episodes. Okay. But, like, it's interesting where they're kind of going with, like, some of the stuff into it. So, I I didn't know if you saw it or not. So, uh, on that note. No, uh, if you guys no spoilers. Have, no, no spoilers. <laughs> if you guys have seen it, what did you guys think about it so far? Um, let us know. If you guys follow us on Instagram, you guys know that we recently asked that question. So we want to hear from you guys on uh, what you guys think of Krypton. Is it living up to the Superman, uh, I guess, status is the good word to put it. But uh, we're here talking all about Action Comics number 1000. And I'm going to ask this. Uh, we did this yesterday on our Instagram. But there was 10 covers that got released for this comic book. So which one did you get and why? Um, I got the... I think it's the 1940s cover where he's like out in World War II. Uh, And I got that one because it was very Darwin Cook-esque. And I'm a big fan of Darwin Cook's artwork and storytelling. So that's the one I got. (laughs) You like New Frontier, didn't you? Oh, dude, I love New Frontier. It's such a good story. I couldn't get into it. Okay, so have you seen the movie or read the comic book? I saw the movie. All right. Read the comic book. It's huge. It's so good. All right. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. A lot of the – the way that they jumped into the movie, like I enjoyed the movie for what it was. But the way that they jumped into it, there's so much that is cut out of the movie that kind of pertains to how the Justice League comes together in that particular universe. I think – uh, I think DC classifies that universe as like Earth 27 or 37 or something like that. 
It's like some odd number. Um, and it's essentially Darwin Cook's world. And um, it's there's he, there's a lot more character development that goes into everything. So I, I highly recommend it. I think it's one of the better stories um, as far as like Justice League origin stories that are out there. I'll give it a shot. Okay. So I... I actually picked up the uh, Dan Jurgens 1990s cover. Okay. And I picked this up because I, this was an era that I was born into. And I, I love the artwork. And Dan Jurgens has some of the best art, I think, yeah. in all of DC lore. Um, so he automatically has my vote for it. But I don't know. I, I really battled between that one and uh, the Weeber... Neo, the two thousands one, okay, with like the like the all the red things. I was like, do I want this one or do I want that one? Yeah, I thought it was. Uh, I know we're probably jumping ahead of the discussion a little bit, but I thought it was cool that like each of the covers kind of went with a story within Action Comics one thousand to some extent. Um, I thought that was cool. I don't know if you picked up on that at all, but I did reading through it and having looked at all the covers because. Well, me being me, I sat in a comic book store during pre-order day and, like, debated with myself and the people who run the comic book store that I go to um, which comic book cover I wanted. (laughs) Um, Just because, like, it just took me forever to decide because on one hand I wanted all of them, but on the other hand I was like, I can't afford all of them, so I got to decide on one. (laughs) So a buddy of mine, uh, Anthony Rippa from the Retro Gamers, uh, took sent me a picture last night. He went and got all ten covers. I was like, "Gosh, are you gonna read any of these?" He was like, "No." I was like, "He's like, I'll read them digitally." I was like, "Why would you spend all this money and not pick them up?" <sighs> on one hand, I wish I could do that, but on the other hand, I'm not. I'm not that much of a collector. I guess I'm just a fanboy. I see. Yeah, I understand like the whole like, and that's I guess something that like I never really understand because like I have like in parts of me that are like a collector, but then there are parts of me that's kind of like I would rather just read the read the products than actually collect them. Yeah, and say that I have them. Like I I have maybe like like two comics, two or three comics that like I framed that I'm like proud of that like that I own them as collector. And the rest of them is just like, I want to read all these. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Um, if I'm going to buy one that I'm going to collect, uh, it's typically it's already like cased up and it's at a convention or something. Uh, but for the most part, like, I'm just about the stories, man. I just want to know what's going on and I just want to be entertained, you know? So. Yeah, for sure. Like, sometimes, like, I mean, there are like covers to art that, like, I can't would say I want to have this framed like I just love the art like in it so much like there's a Wonder Woman comic that I own that I went out and bought a second copy of just so I could have it because like the cover art to it was gorgeous that's what's up I mean it's Wonder Woman so of course it's going to be gorgeous to to a degree <laughs> two of my framed are uh, Wonder Woman so I understand I understand yeah but we're not here to talk about Wonder Woman today. We are here talking about uh, Man of Steel himself, Mr. Clark Kent. And this is the way this is going to work. So uh, if you guys haven't picked up Action Comics number 1000, it is essentially a mini anthology celebration from 
hundreds of talents in all of uh, DC Comics coming together to tell their own short Superman stories. We're going to do top ten, uh, go back and forth. Ron will give one, I'll give another. We'll just kind of go back until we count down. We're going to give a little bit of a synopsis of what the story deals with and why it pertained to us as a reader so much. So since you're the guest, I'm going to start you off. What is your number 10 for Superman? Um, Action Comics, 1,000. Number 10. Um, Honestly, man, I thought the worst one out of all of them was the Action Land one. uh, Really? Yeah, with Mixoplick or however you pronounce his name. I can never pronounce his name correctly. Um, Just because it it just kind of bored me. Bro, wait till you see where it land- that landed on my list. Oh man, is it high? It's super high. Oh no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's all right. I, I like doing these top tens because, like, you kind of get to see where, where what people like as far as like taste and stuff like that, and it makes for interesting conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah. It was all right. <laughs> <laughs> it, was all, it was all right i i mean I, I i enjoy paul dini's but i will wait till my number 10 is uh the enemy within this is by marv wolfman which i'm i'm a huge marv wolfman fan i love teen titans um i love deathstroke but i don't know man this was just kind of a like a slower paced storyline that kind of wish I had more appreciation for. Yeah. Um, which one Which one was that one? I didn't memorize all the names. Was that the one with Lex Luthor? No. No. Uh, Enemy Within was the one where... Um, no, I'm trying to find it. Oh, the one with um, Maggie Sawyer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It just... It wasn't really a Superman story, but, like, it gave cool dynamic to, like, you know, stuff that, like, I feel like Superman fans kind of, you know, wonder about with the whole, like, you know, has he everywhere once kind of deal. But I don't know. Like, I just, it it needed more Superman, I guess. It, I don't want to read a story about a bank robber who's being controlled by a brainiac. I mean, I I understand that. I enjoyed the story, and I don't know if you want me to tell you why I enjoyed it now or wait till later when we get to it on my list. <laughs> wait, till, wait till you go to on your list. Okay. Okay. But what's your number nine? My number nine. Um, my number nine was honestly it was the one with Lex Luthor. Uh, what was that one called? Fifth season. Fifth season. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of odd. It was just kind of thrown in the middle, and it was a conversation, and they kind of looked at one of Lex's memories where it looked like there was a little girl with heat vision that kind of saved his life, and I wasn't quite sure how that pertained to anything (laughs) as far as the Superman mythos go, because it's not like it could have been, you know, Kara, because she's, in my mind, Lex is always older than, than Superman is. More often than not, and yet this little girl, I think it's a little girl. Maybe it was. Maybe it was a little boy. Maybe it was Clark. I don't know. But the artwork was kind of like 
ominous, I guess. And the, the kid had longer hair than I imagined Clark to have as a kid. So I don't know. Maybe Clark saved Lex's life. Um, and maybe that was what it was all about was just them relating and Lex kind of being like, you know, I know I knew it was you and um, there are seasons of our life where we're kind of in that fifth season, that, that in between where we don't have to be enemies, but we don't have to be friends either. Um, but yeah, it didn't, it didn't really do much for me. It didn't really pique my interest or anything. It just kind of, kind of felt, kind of felt like I was going to say, it kind of felt like a little bit of like early Smallville kind of thing. Yeah. It was a cool, like throwback to that. Like a lot of these stories I felt like were throwbacks to other, other Superman stories, you know? Um, but yeah, that was my number nine. Oddly enough, that that's that one is not my number nine, but it's very close. Okay. Uh, my number nine is the car. Oh um, man! <laughs> I I hated that I didn't like it as much because I'm such a Jeff Johns fan. Yeah. And getting a force like Richard Donner into do this, I love the art for it. The art in it, I think, is is probably I would I would dare say probably the best art in the entire book. Yeah. But I just I don't know like. I'm. I've read early Superman and like early Batman, and the way that storytelling back in those days kind of was like it. I feel like I don't have an appreciate. I had do, but I don't have an appreciation for that. And it definitely felt like, and that's the that's the beauty of Johns is that he has the capability just to really step back in time or you know, kind of transform his voice to fit the medium that he's telling. Yeah. But I I don't know, like I the 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 car and the guy that was, you know, underneath, you know, that whole vehicle thing whatever what happened after, you know, issue one. Like that was never a story that I cared to know. Yeah. And it just it didn't really resonate with me the same way that, you know, fifth season didn't really resonate with you. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> I think that I think it's up high on your list. It's pretty high up there, man. I'm not gonna lie to you. Uh, honestly, like the first three stories that are told are just they're they're I, they're probably like my top three. I would say. So spoiler alert, going into later on. <laughs> but I don't know how they configure going forward. So yeah, what do you got for number eight? Number eight. Um, Number eight was a little bit more difficult for me uh, just because there are, there are a couple stories that are in here that are kind of just very evened out. Um, and I was really torn between making number eight uh, faster than a speeding bullet or um, what is that? The, the five minute deadline one, five minutes. Um, so I'll say, I'll say five minutes was eight and then spoiler alert seven's probably um, faster than a speeding bullet. But five minutes to me just felt like too quick, you know, and it was cool to see Superman hopping around, saving the day, going from place to place and still being able to finish the deadline as Clark Kent. But uh, to me, it felt like there was enough Superman in it which was great. Um, that wasn't the downfall of it at all. I felt like the downfall of it was the fact that the people who hate Superman 
You know how they're always complaining that he's super OP and can do anything and he's boring? This was one of those stories to me. <laughs> this is one of those stories that like proves that point. And I feel like DC so has gotten so good about not telling stories like this. Um, but they slipped one in here, I guess, for nostalgia's sake, you know? Um, and so it was, it was cool to see his powers functioning that well and him knowing how to do everything. But at the same time, it was like, come on, dude, where's the actual challenge? <laughs> yeah. And then the, the kind of like at the end where he finally gets back to finish the deadline and Perry White's just like, oh, that story is old. Go do this story instead. And he's like, I just was like, really? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. So what was your eight? Fifth season. Fifth season. Which to me, like, I, I think the one thing that I, I – found myself surprised at this this issue was the fact that like writers that I normally love like Scott Snyder and uh, Jeff Johns were so low on my list um, but I, I just this had beautiful art that went with it but it was just a story that really was kind of like an in between like it just kind of felt like they were like we need something to fill this with yeah because, like, you know, you have Scott Snyder here who redefined the way that we think of Batman. Yeah. I would love to see what he would do with Superman, given more than five pages. But yeah. this is not a good indication of that. So I agree with everything you said as far as fifth season. But what did you get for number seven? Number seven um, was Faster Than the Speeding Bullet. And I actually... It, we're kind of getting into a point now where it, it got it started to get really hard for me to rank everything. Um, but I actually really enjoyed this story because it kind of showed how human Superman can be in his head because he didn't think he was going to get there to save the damsel in distress in time. And then lo and behold, the damsel just pulls a Lois move and leans into the bullet um, as the guy's about to pull the gun, he's about to pull the trigger, and it offsets the weight so that, you know, the bullet's not going to hit her directly like it would have before. And, of course, Clark gets there in time um, and commends her on how brave she was. And then at the end of the story, I think the thing that really hit me was at the end of the story, Lois and Clark are talking about his day, and um, she's she notices something different about him. And so she, so she goes, Oh, you met a good one today. And he's like, well, I meet good ones every day. And she's like, no, Clark, you met someone that really impressed you today. And I think that says a lot, um, being able to impress Superman like that, as far as heroics go. Um, so I just, I just really enjoyed that because it's not very often that you see Superman really commenting uh, and complimenting someone on how brave they are. You know, you you kind of get it with a smile every once in a while and him being super nice to them and encouraging them, but it's very rare that he's ever just like, yeah, you did a good job, you were brave, you know, way to go, to to just a regular civilian anyway. Yeah, and that's, that's something that I think was, you know, kind of humanizing about Superman in that aspect of that story as well was that, you know, we normally never really got to get to see him. And that was that was kind of the reason that I really loved the run of Superman Wonder Woman 
because it really humanized Clark and his relationships in that aspect as well. And so it was really cool to kind of get to see not only not only the storytelling storytelling aspect of it, but that, you know, the new twist that Clark can be entertained or can be inspired by us. Uh, but I also dug as well the art in this. I think it's it's uh, yeah. also a solid entry as well. Yeah. Um, it's kind of got that warm summer vibe to it. Yeah. But it's also, but it's also a throwback. <laughs> What are you going to yes. say? I was going to say it's also my number seven. It's also your number seven? Oh, yes. cool. <laughs> we agreed on one thing. <laughs> Good. Well, let's, let's make, maybe, maybe we agree on number one. We just don't know yet. <laughs> maybe. Well, that's true. We'll find out. We'll find out. Uh, what is your number six? Um, my number six is An Enemy Within, honestly. Ooh. And... I'm going to tell you why. I thought it was really cool how Superman had as much faith in um, the police, you know, his police, the police that he works with every day, uh, as he would in his own Justice League. You know, he knew that um, Maggie Sawyer was going to do a good job and she was going to save everybody. And, you know... um, and then at the end of it, after they shoot the guy, you know, she's just like, oh, yeah, they're rubber bullets. No big deal. It hurts a lot, but <laughs> he's not dead, you know, because um, she I think that deep down uh, being, you know, the commissioner Gordon to Superman's, you know, to Superman essentially is what she becomes in, in the long haul in a lot of ways. I think she realized that something deeper was going on, you know, with the voices in his head and, and everything else. And so the fact that Superman showed a little bit more humanity in this and put his faith into people that don't have powers and don't know exactly what's going on the way that he does. Um, I just thought it was cool to see how much he truly inspires people to be better. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. Like I, I could see how someone can appreciate a story like that. Um, it just did not resonate with me, I guess the way that it did with you. Um, but Side note about the because it's Maggie Sawyer, right? Yeah. Uh, She's a captain in this one, I think. Yeah. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, because it's been a couple of years since I've read it, but wasn't she the commissioner who took over for uh, after James Gordon in Dark Knight Returns? She might have been. I haven't read the Dark Knight Returns in a long time, but she might have been. Yeah. It might be time to break that one out. I know. Such a good one. Ah. All right. What about you? Number six. Number six of tomorrow. Of tomorrow. Tom King, Clay Man. Uh, Tom King, this is a story that is essentially, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't really know how to describe this story. It's, you know, Clark finds a crystal and he essentially formulates it into be like this like reminiscent of like a family photo. Yeah. And he leaves it at his uh mother and father's gravesite. And I loved the art in it, but I loved that it was it felt loaded with compassion. Yeah. And just really showed that like, you know, Superman's heart because uh one of the things that I, I feel like that they've explored really well in B V S and in the D C cinematic universe we've gotten so far is that, you know, people like you know his mom and his 
and Lois, they're they're people that he cares significantly for. Yeah. So, and I felt like that was just a, such a short, oh, great story about you know the importance of family in Superman's life and just how appreciative he is of his mother and father. Yeah. Um, I'll keep my comments to myself when we get to that one on the list for me because I felt like there was a lot more in it too that I just wanted to expand upon. But I agree with everything that you said. <laughs> um, what do you got for number five? Number five uh, is The Truth, um, which is the build up to the Man of Steel six-part miniseries that they're going to start doing in May 30th, I think, is when it's yeah. scheduled. Um, it was... I thought it was really funny because, of course, he crash lands into this after getting hit by this alien that we still really don't know anything about. Um, crash lands into this restaurant, and the ladies... One of the first things the ladies in the restaurant notice is the fact that, like, he's back in his red his red underwear <laughs> over top of the blue pants. And I thought that that was hilarious and very humorous. Um, and I, honestly, I thought it was cool to see Kara back uh, in a Superman comic book because she's been gone for a little while. And to have her drawn um, the way that she was drawn in this one, I really appreciated. You know, um, she looked really great. Um but there really wasn't – it was a good intro. you know. It was enough to get your attention. But outside of that, there wasn't much story to it, I felt like, um, outside of the cliffhanger <laughs> with uh, Jor-El you know, and that whole thing. Uh, yes. But, um, you know, it was, it was cool to see Superman get – knocked around a little bit and basically be fainting, you know, um, cause you don't see that very often. So it was cool to see someone who could potentially be a little bit stronger than him. Uh, but outside of that, like I, I, I think I put it at number five cause I felt like it was, I felt very even about it, you know, like I wanted more, but to, to rank it higher on the list when it was the beginning of another story, I didn't feel like I could, rank it any higher than that because the story wasn't finished you know yeah but i mean at the same time like i i ranked it a little bit higher than you and i i liked it because i think one thing that since we've covered it on our show you know it's a huge deal for brian michael bendez to come to dc yeah it is and you know i'm not the biggest marvel guy but the comics that i've picked up from marvel and i that i've liked and appreciated they've all been bendez and so I, I think I did a dance, in like, at like a celebration when they announced that he was coming over to DC and like he signed this like you know big, multi-year thing and, um you know it it was enough to really whet my appetite yeah but it brought that that humor that he's brought into characters like Peter Parker and you know Star Lord and I was like, yes yeah like I, I'm I'm excited for this and you know. I think that, you know, Brian just does such a, a good way of, you know, really taking these characters that are super otherworldly and really bringing them down to ground them on our level. And I loved the truth. So Yeah, I, I agree with everything. Like, there's not – I have no complaints against this story whatsoever. 
the I think the only reason I didn't rank it higher is simply because it was the beginning of a story and it left you on a cliffhanger, you know. Whereas the rest of the stories within this conglomerate were all one shots, you know. So I feel like once Man of Steel comes out, my list could potentially change a little bit um, as far as Action Comics 1000, strictly because I'll have the end of the end of the story to the truth. But you know, it just. I, I didn't feel like I could put it any higher just because there was no end. <laughs> yeah. No end in sight yet. Yeah. So. Number five. Uh, from the city that has everything. Felt like this was a great turning point. For, I felt like this was a great introduction to the book. And it really, really put Superman's character on a... Just up in front that he cares so much about the city but that he's not doing it for this attention and I love the dynamic too of that you know when you kind of when you kind of have that Perry White twist uh, with Lois Lane and he finds out that it's really Bruce and Diana that they're planning this big celebration you really see the effect that you know Superman is not just simply a leader but it's also a that he's also this inspiration to other heroes around him and yeah i love that like that that panel that splash page with you know all these heroes in it you know wonder woman saying you know we're we're not just your team we're also your fans i love that yeah and you have numerous uh green lanterns flash steel supergirl nightwing hawkman harley quinn deadshot i'm sorry deathstroke um so you just have all these all these people, and like you, you kind of see the impact that he's had as a character yeah. to not only the citizens of Metropolis, but also to the to the people that he's worked with in the Justice League and other you know DC affiliations. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I I know I know it probably ranks super high on yours though. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think number four for me is probably of tomorrow. Um, just kind of going back to what you were saying uh, <clears throat> about showing his compassionate side. And, man, honestly, I just love Tom King. Like, he did such a good job with the Grayson series. Um, I'm just continually impressed by him. And, um, honestly, I, I love the artwork. Clay Mann did a great job. And I love just like little references that they pulled to other things like, um, what is it? The Superman 1 million where Superman is essentially this gold deity and the entire time with the artwork, it's all just kind of laced in, in gold esque colors. You don't ever get a full gold, but like you get a lot of yellows and, and browns and reds that could very, very much like mix in and give that kind of undertone to it. Um, but I thought the other thing that was really cool, he was talking to, you know, obviously he's talking to his mom, Pa Kent, um, as if they're really there. And he shapes this crystal into this memory of, of him and Lois and, and John to put on their gravestone. Um, but he drops a couple things in there that kind of get you wondering, like Lois is taking an eternity potion to make her live for forever, you know, because this is obviously this is like towards the end of the earth's life. So this is thousands of years away, 
you know. Um, meanwhile, Clark doesn't look any older, and John apparently doesn't need the potion at all because of his own Kryptonian DNA. But the fact that he's created something to uh, help Lois live for forever that tastes a lot like grapes. <laughs> um, I just saw a lot of humor in that, and I just... I don't know the 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 odes to other Superman stories that they that that are kind of like obscure that nobody really thinks about. I appreciated the fact that Tom King was. Uh, I hope this is what's his thought process that he was like going to pay homage to those types of stories. Um, I just thought that was really cool. So you learn something new every day because I didn't know any of that stuff. Oh, so well <laughs> now you know. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason yeah. you're our resident Superman. Dude. Yeah. So there's a there's a universe where um Superman essentially goes after Lois dies, he like flies into the sun and gets supercharged for a couple thousand years and then flies out towards the source wall and beats his way into it, essentially confronts God or whoever DC Universe's main like deity is in the source wall and trains with him for another millennia or so and comes back and it's just covered in head to toe in gold. Like nothing can touch him. Um, his descendants are still defending the earth and defending the galaxies and everything. Uh, but he, what ends up happening is he, um, acquires all these other extra powers like time travel. And, um, he knows how to build, uh, bodies to put people's souls and essences in. And so essentially he goes and he creates a new fortress of solitude inside the heart of the sun and brings Lois back from the dead and puts her into this, um, white gold body so that they can live happily ever after for, for forever kind of thing. Um, so He's like all powerful. It's crazy how powerful he is. It's like the the ultra fans. Anytime they bring up the debate between Goku and Superman, the Superman fans always go to this version of Superman because it's not something that Goku could ever beat. Um, so, learn something new every day. Yeah. <laughs> so, what was your number four? So my number four, uh, I messed up on my list when I was like compiling it. Number four was technically also of tomorrow. Okay. So my number seven should have actually been five minutes. Okay. Because, um, you know, that story was just eh. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we uh, we will be right back on the other side of the break talking our top three. Uh, we're going to have some message. Uh, now a quick word from our sponsors and upcoming events. Hope to see you all at free comic book day at Comics World in the Chambersburg Mall. Come in and get a lot of great free books and some of our biggest sales of the year. Up to 50% off graphic novels, back stock, and tons of cool stuff. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Alex. And, and we, we have, have a question for you. Do you think you're crazy? You know, Alex, I don't think they do. I mean, does anyone? You're right, Megan. Well, I'm here to tell you those weird little quirks and ticks probably seem normal to you. But you're not normal. You're crazy. The question is, just how crazy are you? And we're here to tell you that. We're, we're the, the hosts of a Crazy Clinic, Clinic podcast. The podcast where we take your most uncanny habits, bizarre pet peeves, outlandish thoughts, unconventional fears, and dive deep into the background and psychology of chosen topics to inform you just how crazy you really are. 
Join us Monday on SoundCloud, Apple products, and pretty much anywhere podcasts can be heard to find out how crazy you and everyone else really are. Welcome back. We are still hanging out and still talking all about Action Comics number 1000. Uh, it's a huge milestone for any comic book fan. Um, and I feel like, too, that this is the only time that, you know, that we've we've seen something this big in our lifetime. Um, but we're here talking about the top three. So far, we've run down uh, top seven of our picks. So, being our guest, what do you have for number three? Uh, never ending battle. Um, this one was done by Peter Thomasse. Thomasse is that how you pronounce his name? Yes, Thomasse and Patrick Gleason, and they've been the resident um, guys on the Superman comic books right now and they've done such a great job like i i really did love this story um and i love how they paid homage to like every era of superman and even went as far as there's one page in here that's uh almost straight from superman the animated series uh with the with the two kryptonians who are husband and wife and they're dressed in that those weird green and black costumes um i can't remember their names at all but that's that's such a great reference to Superman, the animated series. And then they even had uh, a page from kingdom come. They had the new 52 into the rebirth transformation on the second to last page. Um, the fight with Banshee, uh, the one time he got hit by a nuclear missile and his body is kind of deteriorating and fading away. Um, you know, he ends up fighting a dragon, which I don't know what that's from, but it's crazy, you know. Uh, <laughs> his crazy space adventures from the 70s. Uh, you've got the 1940s panel, you know, where he's in World War II. And then, obviously, you've got the very beginning of his origins in the 30s, um, where he's fighting gangsters and stuff like that. And he can only only do so much. Uh, and the fact that they brought Vandal Savage back was great as well. And then... I think my favorite part of the the whole the whole story was the last picture, the last panel where he's just in front of his family and they just made him this huge birthday cake that he's needs to blow the candles out for and it's him and Lois and John and even Crypto the super dog they're just all hanging out, you know. Um and I thought it was a cool way to kind of I think it was the second story into the into the actual comic book. Um it was a cool way to kind of start off like Happy birthday, Superman! Here we go into the rest of everything. Yeah, and on the also on that note, the first, the second page that you actually see of this story too, of him in the '30s, I love the character design. Yeah, uh, I think that this was, this was a uh, because you know, I don't know, like I, I have a love hate relationship with like classic comics, but. I really do enjoy the like the the way that the S sits on him, the way that the cape flows on this one, the bullets bouncing off, and the boots. Yeah. So I really did dig the uh, the art in this this story as well. Patrick Leeson knocked it out of the park for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. What about you, number three? The truth. The truth. All right. Got to say, like I I I loved Bendez and. Uh, Jim Lee, Jim Lee, we just did uh, X-Men uh, for uh, the PS Midnight cast, and 
I loved seeing Jim Lee do X-Men. I've, you know, picked up stuff from his era of image. And Jim Lee is one step below Alex Ross for me as an artist. Okay. Um, I love Jim Lee stuff. So, like, seeing Jim Lee, Scott Williams, who did an incredible run on Justice League when the New 52 started, seeing them back together with Michael uh, Brian Michael Bendis, I really dug that. I thought that it was a awesome introduction to Bendis' vision for what Superman should be. Yeah. And just kind of where we're going <clears throat> moving forward with Man of Steel. And I don't, I don't follow Superman the way that you do. Like I'm, I'm a Batman and Harley guy. Um, but I got done reading this, and I w- immediately was like, I need to make sure that I'm marking my calendar because this is a story that I want to follow. This is a series that I want to know more about. Yeah, and want to see where this ride takes us, especially with that Jor-El tease. I was like, Yeah. Ooh. Add another layer to the to the mythos as well. So great introduction to his vision. Yeah, I'm interested to see too. Like um, after the big twist that they've already done with Jor-El, with this rebirth, with this uh, rebirth thing, what other twist is going to be there now? You know, like because mm. um, he was he was Mister Oz, you know. Yeah. And it's like, well, what else are they going to do to Superman's dad? I thought he was this. This awesome dude, like, what happened? <laughs> um, but no, man, like, I agree with everything that you're saying. Like I said, the only reason it wasn't higher on my list was because they didn't finish the story. It was just a teaser for what's next, you know, so. It was enough to wet your whistle, though. Oh, yeah, it was. I'm stoked for what's next. Best believe. <laughs> oh, so getting down to the nitty-gritty right now, what do you got for number two? Uh, number two for me was... Dude, honestly, I think my last two are a tie. Um, but for the sake of for the sake of throwing it out there, I, I think I think number number two for me was the car. Um, I just loved that story, man. The fact that uh, you know it was essentially Superman number one. It was the the after effect you know it was jeff johns and richard donner uh and i just enjoyed the fact that he showed up and was barely even the main purpose of the comic book you know like he was he was only in a couple pages um but his dialogue with the man that was in the car and how it changed everything around you know um Superman, after, you know, after destroying the guy's car, dug up, dug up this guy's life, you know, as an investigative journalist. And at a certain point in the comic book, he says that you've had your fair share of knocks and you can keep knocking the world back like you've done or you can make a decision today. Be the person who wasn't there for you for someone else. Um, it's your life, Butch, and you can fix it or you can junk it. And Butch just replies, that's it. And all Superman says is, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. I'll see you around. You know, and I think that's the embodiment of everything that Superman is to the DC universe. And I mean, obviously, with with my number one, like, we can get more into that. But being that beacon of hope that is, 
he knows what is right and what's wrong, but he's not judgmental of the people who have done the wrong, and he's willing to give them that second chance. You know, he's he's willing to meet them where they're at. And there's even like a man who gets up in um, my number one who talks about that same story uh, for his life too. And so just kind of seeing that and then seeing this guy at the very end, the last couple panels, his car is brand new and he's in the city, you know, um, opening up a uh, fire hydrant for these kids to play in because it's so hot during the summer. You know, he, he became the person that he wanted someone to be for him when he was younger. And just that story of like hope and redemption. I mean, we talked about this the past couple of times I've been on here. Like I run a ministry, you know, like I am a Jesus freak. And so seeing aspects of like the gospel in the storytelling, just, it gets me every time. Like I'm a sucker for it. <laughs> I think you just gave me a whole new reason to appreciate the story, the car, um, and kind of give it a second, second look, see, because I do respect everything you just said, and it it is a good story of redemption and hope, and you know, seeing that, you know, putting faith in someone sometimes, you know, that's all it takes to really turn the turn the life around of someone, and yeah, uh, this is a beautiful story to to be told. True, true. All right, number two for you. So we're switching gears. Uh, because the car was so low on my list and the car so high on your list, <laughs> switching gears. Number two is action land. Okay. I, uh, I honestly like this was the, this was the only time in the comic that I found myself really laughing. Yeah. Um, I, I love Superman and, and, but this one miss was a, was a mixoplex. Yeah. It was a nice twist. Well done. Paul. <clears throat> Loved it. Because I at that end, I think that the the art in this too is it just it matches the tone that Paul Dini sets. Yeah, because it kind of gives that feel, um, like it's kind of like Saturday morning cartoons in the eighties. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but you you kind of get through you know like the whole you know going through um action land where it's you know it's this big adventure. And then it's, uh, you know, it's then you kind of find out this is where it all falls apart. You know, Mixie, when couples role play, they usually take it to a different level. <laughs> like I just, I thought it was hilarious. There's that like that that twist, and I was like, oh, this is a mixoplex story, and you can kind of understand like it. You feel sympathy for like an underrated villain. So I thought there was a nice twist. Yeah, uh, dude, he's honestly he's one of my favorite villains. Like to be completely honest, it just. It didn't feel like a Superman story for me, you know? Um, and honestly, I figured this was going to be higher on your list with Batman at the very end of it. That... Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, man. All right, so we got number one. Uh, what is your number one? Number one for me um, was the very first story in the book, From the City That Has Everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, going off of everything that you talked about earlier... Um, man, it was just such a good story. And the fact that they, cause you know, it's Superman. He never gets a day off, <laughs> you know? And the fact that the entire justice league was trying their hardest to give him the day off to the point that they got Martian Manhunter to project things into his mind. So he couldn't see what was actually happening. 
Um, you know, and Lois going so far as to try to organize all of this and make sure that she is able to give him this day off and to see how much um, he means to the world, you know, because like you said earlier, he's not doing it for recognition. He's doing it because that's who he is. But it's, it's very rare that he takes the time to let people be thankful for who he is and what he's done. And it's funny because his whole premise, the whole reason why he doesn't wear a mask is because he wants people to be able to see who he is and to be able to trust him, you know, um, which is quite the opposite of why Batman, you know, Batman wears a mask because he doesn't want to be trusted and he wants to put fear in people, you know, and so like their dichotomy, I just love it when they're comics together because their dichotomy is super cool. But, you know, the fact that he wants people to trust him, he, he doesn't go out of his way to actually hear why they trust him. You know, and to let them love on him as much as he loves them. And, uh, you know, all of the stories that are told, there's, there's one guy who gets up and he starts talking about why. Um, his name is Mr. Bennings. And he used to be a criminal. And, and, of course, John gets up and he's like, why would they let a criminal talk? And Clark pipes up and he's like, just listen, son. Um, and this guy goes on to say that he was caught by Superman several times. And um, every time uh, Superman would offer him a way out, you know, uh, if, if he wanted it. And it never worked. Um, but every time Superman nabbed me, he listened to me and then tried to get me through, get, try to get through to me so I could learn from my mistakes. He didn't want to keep busting me. He wanted to help me. Uh, and the last time he caught me, I was in over my head. I was smuggling plutonium for Skull and nearly died. And Superman knew the cycle of poverty and violence I was stuck in. He put in a good word for me so that once I was out of jail, I landed a decent job. And thanks to him and his patience, I finally had my life on track. Um, and it just reminded me, one, of Superman's character, but two, it reminded me of um, the new... New Batman the Animated Series from 1999, which was kind of a continuation of the first three seasons of Batman the Animated Series. There's a scene where uh, Nightwing and Robin are out on patrol and they're they're like tracking this guy down and he's sharing this story about how harsh Batman can be because he tracked down this this guy who sold who stole some stuff and basically beat the guy up in front of his entire family and that's one of the reasons why Dick left to go become Nightwing in this universe. You know, uh, only to find out later they track the bad guy to um, one of Bruce Wayne's facilities, and lo and behold, the bodyguard who's there is the same criminal that Batman beat up years ago. And once the guy got out, Batman gave him a job guarding some of his most precious, like, scientific, you know, experiments and stuff like that. And so, uh, just kind of seeing the heart behind that and then being able to resonate, having it resonate with things from my past too. And, and seeing like other super seeing that, that same theme that other superheroes have, uh, I thought was really cool. But then, um, you know, at the very end, I, the thing that meant the most to me was at the very end, like you said, the uh, wonder woman's talking and, you know, they're not, they're not just teammates. They're not just his friends. They're his fans too. You know, like, the entire reason why we have comic books the way that we do today is because Superman was the first, you know, um, and he kind of shaped what comic books were going to be. 
uh, in the era that they were in and um, really gives us a basis for what we expect heroes to be in this modern day era. And that kind of goes to show with, with the entire Justice League, all of the Titans, all of the Teen Titans, and even um, bits and pieces of the Suicide Squad being mixed in um, into this crowd of people. Uh, just wanting to be there and to thank him for what he's done. And I think um, I think that story overall is really what Action 1000 is about, is celebrating this hero that who would have thought he'd be around for 80 years, who would have thought he'd be one of the most popular heroes you know, today and would still continue to show the same character uh, and, and in, in some ways an even greater character than what he started as, you know, I, I just thought that that was just a really cool way to pay homage. And, um, it kind of set the tone for how I felt about the rest of the comic book as well, you know, starting off with a story that strong. And then too, like with me being so busy with ministry and not just ministry, but working full time as well, um, and having a real daytime job and, and everything like that seeing Lois go through the lengths that she went to to, to try to make Clark feel good and see what people were saying about him and how much he meant to them. I was joking around with my wife last night. I was like, that sounds like something you would do <laughs> because I don't, I don't take the time to, to sit down very often and, and think about things like that, you know? Um, so, uh, it just resonated with me on a personal level too. Plus I love the, uh, there's a joke in here between, the family dynamic between the Clarks where, um, you know, Clark finally gets back from space and Lois is, uh, there's a splash page and you kind of get to see like the overall, like, you know, yeah. Where she rips uh, open, rips open her reporter garb and she's got the S on too. (laughs) He's he's just like, John is just like, she's been waiting to do that all day. You know, I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, I I like that a lot. That was really cool. It was probably one of my favorite moments in the comic too. It was just like this guy gets it. <laughs> All right, you're number 1. What is it? Number 1 is Never Ending Battle. Okay. Uh this one is one that I just I fell in love with. I loved the art, the way that you could kind of make out that it was Vandal Savage, but kind of couldn't and it just showed Superman throughout the years. Yeah. For one, and you know, I felt like the only thing that I would have liked to see in this that kind of did that would have made it like even more perfect is if they would have like paid like homage to uh, Red Sun. Yeah. Um, but you know, the fact that they called out some of you know his best storylines, um, you know, with. Not only New Fifty Two, uh, but you have the black suit Superman. Um, yeah. What else do we have here? Kingdom have Come, Phantom Zone, Kingdom Come, uh, and this one. This is Dark Knight Rises. Is it? It is Dark Knight Rises. So I I really appreciate that they called it out, uh, but they also gave Banshee a shout out, which I loved. I thought the three way fight between you know the Superman was super sweet. Um, but once once they had that that kind of block between Moloch and Superman, I was I was done for because 
Kingdom Come is one of my top five books of all time. Yeah. I go back and read it at, at least once every other year. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I truly cherish that story and uh, just the art in that. And I felt like, you know, here's two of my favorite stories linked within this. Not only, not only that, but uh, just the storytelling in it is as, as exquisite and the art backs it up uh, 130%. Yeah. Yeah. So good. <laughs> it is. And, and so uh, if you guys are listening to this right now, what is your favorite story within the Superman Action Comics number 1000? Uh, leave a comment on this. Uh, tweet to us at Victims and Villains or write to us on Facebook as well. But even more importantly, if you guys are listening to this right now, and you or someone you know is struggling with suicide, addiction, self-harm, or depression, please reach out. Suicide is currently the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. There are 123 suicides that take place each and every day, and for every successful one of those suicides, there are 25 more being attempted. That's 3,075 suicides attempted right here in our own backyard. That is, uh, when you scale back internationally, there are 800,000 successful suicides that's one death roughly every 40 seconds. So please reach out to us. You guys can reach out to us on any of our social media. Links are in the description below. You guys can also call the Suicide Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or also text anonymously to 741-741. But where can people find you and all of your activities with Identity House Online? Uh, Facebook, really big on the Facebook scene. Um, we have a podcast on Podomatic right now, and it's – just identity house. Um, I think that's it. We're working on a website. It should be up sometime soon once I have the time for it. <laughs> um, but yeah, there are a lot of things in the works. So hopefully in the next time I get on here with you, I'll have more links and, and things for people to go to. But Facebook is definitely the biggest one. And uh, identity house is one of our uh, biggest resources when it's talking about, you know, getting people and connecting people. Uh, they've been a great resource. So if you guys uh, have time to, you know, you guys want to hear more about them, click the links below and check them out. But we're actually doing something super sweet. We wanted to keep the theme of hope alive. Um, so we recently just uh, teamed up with uh, the Farsighted Network to further bring hope and new stuff to it. So we're resurrecting Hope Speaks Louder for to uh, leave you guys with this week. This is Blaine McLaren uh, over <laughs> at uh, the Grindhouse Messiah podcast. But that is going to do it for us. So we have to go up, up, and away. And until next time, remember, keep talking nerd, talking hope, and speaking nothing else. See you guys next time. Hey guys, uh, as as Josh already introduced me, but uh, I'm Blaine McLaren. I'm one of the one of the hosts over at Grindhouse Messiah, a uh, writer over at thefarsideofblog.com. Um, it was great being on the show a few months ago with uh, with Josh and kind of getting a you know a better idea on on what his you know kind of his work in through the podcast was, and it really was something that really struck a chord with me and, and kind of instantly kind of gravitated me towards. You know, uh, uh, you know, the material he's producing in general. Uh, uh, mental health is something that I never thought in my life was going to be something that was important to me. Uh, g- growing up, it's I kind of come from you know 
family and friends where we didn't really talk about that at all. So throughout my life, dealing with these things, it was, just, it was always kind of closed off. And, uh, I mean, going to my story, I'm going to get more in detail about kind of how I accidentally figured out what the heck was wrong with me all these years. But it was, it was it's something that I was really excited to get involved with and try to, you know, offer anything that I could for, you know, for this cause, uh, mainly because finally being diagnosed with with depression and anxiety and all that stuff really kind of saved my life and the, my real quality of life because everything was just kind of, it was so dull and dark for so long that, you know, you know, learning that there's, you know, somebody out there actually doing something about it really just kind of inspired me and I was really jazzed about it to hear about it and, and uh, finally be on the episode. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, growing up, I came from a really well-adjusted home, you know, two loving parents. You know, my mom stayed at home with us. My dad, you know, worked and he, he traveled. And, I mean, life was really good. I mean, up until probably, you know, 11 and 12, once I started hitting puberty, where I, I went from being this fun-loving kid and really kind of enjoying the adventure of life to all of a sudden, I don't know, I just had like this nagging, like, I, I can't even describe I, I, I always describe it as someone like, someone just kind of yelling in your head that you can't do anything, that you, you know, and, and this sort of emptiness and loss. I mean, it was, it was strange because I was so happy. Moving into this transition, I still, you know, tried to maintain that level, but it was it was a frustration that I, I couldn't explain it to everyone, to anyone. My, my, you know, my folks and my friends asked me, like, what was different? What was wrong? And I just, I, I couldn't put my finger on it. I, I mean, as I made my way through puberty and, you know, awful middle school and part of high school years, I, I learned to get a little bit better at it, kind of get it under control. But it was like those moments where I was by myself, you know, like you kind of, you know, when you lay in bed or you get in a shower and there's just you, there's nothing to drown it out. I would just feel just that nag and just that like emptiness just washed through me. I, I had been involved in church. I did all those things and it, nothing just really, nothing mattered or really resonated with me anymore. Uh, I, I, I knew it was something different, but I just tried to, you know, go through my head say, oh, it's just, you know, things are just changing, you know, I'm, I'm trying to adjust to something. I, I, I just tried to basically use logic to kind of like like a spell almost to, to, to get away from these feelings because I, I couldn't be happy. There was just no joy. I could be, I could be momentarily happy, I, I mean, but that joy was just gone. And I just started thinking that, Maybe this is just how everybody feels. So every now and then I'd have a friend that I was close enough to, I'd talk to him about it, and they would look at me like like I was, you know, like, like I was an alien. They'd be like, no, man, like that's that's not good. That's not good, man. You can't you you can't be happy. You're 16 and you're saying you haven't been happy since you were like 10. They're like, that's pretty dark stuff, man. You know. So I learned quick to not bring it up because I didn't want to be alien, you know, alienate myself anymore. That I already felt and told myself all the time, but I mean, but even throughout those years, I mean, I was still relatively popular. I, you know, I had close friendships, you know, you know, different relationships with, with you know, different girls, and it wasn't bad. I played in bands. I, I, I still played sports until I blew out my knee. I, I, I did a really good job of trying to like just stay busy and, and just 
keep that keep that silence and that reality with myself as quiet as possible. Uh, you know, just kind of just tune it all out with whatever I could. Music, you know, movies, you know, you know relationships, sports, all all that stuff. Church, everything, everything. I I basically abused everything to keep it quiet. So once I got older, uh, you know, not a couple of years later, really, I wasn't really going to go to school. I knew in my head I was not ready to leave my family because there's just something that was just nagging at me. But long story short, I end up going to a school in Tennessee. Uh, I'm from Atlanta, so I go out there. All those feelings that, that I had been trying to, to shove down, it's like it exploded. First time really being away from my family, things got darker. That's, that's when I started getting those spells where I just I didn't want to do anything. Uh, you know, my friends would get up and go to class. I would get up and just wander around and go get a cup of coffee and smoke cigarettes all afternoon and just, it was, it, it's like I couldn't even get myself to do any of the things I was supposed to do. I, I made it through, you know, the first few years kind of going just enough to get the credits and get through and everything like that. But, you know, I in those years, you know, I'd like to say that, you know, like, you know, like my drinking and, and you know, some drug use and a little stuff like that was linked to the depression, but it wasn't. I just, I just enjoyed trying new stuff, so I'm not going to try to hide in there, but it definitely was a good coping mechanism to these feelings because it would, when I started getting those floods and those feelings of just emptiness and joylessness, it, I'm not going to lie, you know, drinking with friends and like that definitely kind of helped, you know, be able to push through that to a certain degree, but I, I don't want to sound like, oh, some sort of, you know, I don't know what the word is for it, but like cautionary tale. I don't, I don't want to sound like that at all. Uh, but during this time, I mean, I kind of started to withdraw more and more. So I still had close friends that I, that, that I stuck with and hung out with, but uh, on the upside, these were the years where I really started just consuming tons and tons of, of video, tons of film, just blowing through it. And I mean, and to this day, I mean, I, as dark as some of that time was, that was the time when I was really kind of just consuming the most of that and really getting the education that I wanted, which was to just know everything there was about film, especially from that side of just lost and forgotten stuff. Because I lived in a little town in Tennessee where you rented, you rented old VHS tapes from a gas station and they had every weird thing I could come across. But, but I mean, pushing through that, I mean, things... Definitely, definitely didn't get better, but a new thing kind of started coming up with, started arising with the the emptiness. It was this like sense of panic. Like I, I just, I just got so used to just being full on panics. And instead of like some people I know that would just freak out and leave and kind of kind of disengage from everyone, I started just exploding on people. You know, when I got anxious, or you know, or if I was you know getting these feelings, I would just explode on people. It was almost overnight where it was like, God, man, what's in me? Like some sort of demon or something? Like I, I'm a nice guy. I always pride myself my whole life being nice and polite. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm yelling and swearing at friends just for, you know, asking me too many times if I wanted to go and, you know, grab, grab dinner with them. And I'm just like, you know, you know, F off. I've got something to do. Volley. You know, just freak out on everyone. And 
I just kind of developed. I don't know what it was. It was it was the strangest thing. I mean, I'd never been like that. You know, I'd apologize. People say I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to freak out on you. You know, uh, you know, I got something on, something on my mind. You know, and just kind of made those excuses. But I started noticing this just happening more and more. And uh, you know, just went about my life. Ended up moving overseas for a while with this girl. That time in my life. I was away from everybody. I, I really tried to kind of start over. I was living in I was living in the Czech Republic and I was trying to like kind of just I was so sick of who I'd become that I just wanted a way. I wanted to kind of just redefine myself. So I worked on it. I, I you know, I did meditation, I, I, I you know, I prayed with every ounce of my body just to go back to being the the person that I believed that I believed that I was. But this is around the same time where I kind of started to develop this, you know, this cycle of trying to deal with these problems, trying, knowing that there's something wrong, being embarrassed to talk about it, and then destroying all the relationships around me in the process. So as you can probably guess, during this trip, everything turns toxic. I'm, I'm trying my best, but I'm back, I'm back drinking all the time. I'm getting fights with the girl that I'm living with. We're screaming. We're yelling. Eventually, it's like, let's just get the heck out of here, get back to the United States and go our separate ways. We get back. Boom. I go back to school. At this point, I'm just so upside down. All I've been doing is just trying to figure out how to deal with this. And I decide, like lots of people do in their early to mid-20s, I'm going to go get a job, and I'm going to start a normal life. That's what I'm missing. I'm, I'm missing a nuclear family. So I go out end up, you know, over some time marrying a, a good friend of mine. Uh, we had been friends for, you know, nearly 10 years by the time we were married. And uh, once we were married, I was like, okay, this is going to break this cycle. Now I have all the things that I thought I wanted. Now, you know, like, okay, we've been married for a while. Now let's have a child, you know. And once again, I was trying to figure out just why I felt these ways. And I thought that if I did these steps of the people around me that I saw that were so happy, I was going to be able to somehow capture it, but just like every other relationship dealing dealing with this, I mean, I wasn't surprised when she eventually said, "I'm, I'm leaving. You're a monster to live with." And I, I don't, I don't ever try to play it cool or sound. I was miserable to live with. I, at this point, I, I lashed out anytime I was frustrated. I, I was so depressed I would just stay on the couch days at a time. Um, things just fell apart, and I, and I started developing hypochondria, where I always thought I was dying. Uh, I, I, I couldn't control my thought. My, my, it, I was completely trapped in in my own mind. It's and it's one of those things that it's so hard because it's so selfish. I'm not enjoying my son growing up. I'm not enjoying spending time with my wife or, or, you know, going to work or doing any of these things. All I'm doing is focusing on me. It's like this strange self-vigilance that I developed where it's like, oh, my God, you know, like, this is Mark. This is on my tongue. Is that cancer? This is, and, like, I would just, it, it just, everything built and it just spiraled until when she said she was done, I, I couldn't blame her. I mean, the last thing in the world that I wanted was to lose my family. But you can't blame someone because I'm not I'm not taking care of them. I'm not I'm I'm not you know reciprocating love. I'm freaking out and and you know just you know you know just being a empty 
jerk that stomps around the house feeling sorry for himself and just doesn't know how to stop. I mean, no matter what I did, it was so there, you know, I I go to different people, pastors, authors, you know, um, yogis, every, anyone, like, fix me, please fix me. But for some reason, in my head, it just never crossed my mind that this is just mental illness, that this could be something that, you know, since it's been with me my whole life, but everyone always had their answers. And, you know, like, being a believer, I mean, I, I wanted to believe that God was just going to fix my brain and it was just going to be all better. And that's what it took because it's kind of how I grew up in church, like thinking that, you know, God's a magician, you know, you bring him your problems and he magically fixes them, but it requires a lot more. And I really started redeveloping my life as a Christian and and kind of getting back into that thought process and that, and, and that ritual of my life around this time because I truly think that my wife leaving at the time was the best thing that ever happened because in the process we realized that we had some some couples counseling uh you know credits on on our insurance that we could use we had we had six meetings that we could go to and she said you know come on these last ditch things it was basically dead but like hey let's at least try this so we so when people ask we can tell them we went to we went to couples counseling once we were there, she was done. She said, hey, I'm done with this. I'm not going back and forth. I've made up my mind. I'm moving all the stuff out, whatever. But then I, I kind of just asked the guy, he, he, I said, well, if she's not going to do this, can I? You know, I was just so desperate to talk to somebody. And he was like, yeah, no, we can talk. And we, we had a session, and he got just let me just kind of lay everything down. And immediately I, I felt like, a million, like a million pounds off my back. Like it was the first time I ever thought, like, oh God, I can just be completely honest with this stranger. Just this in itself. I mean, he hadn't even given any any advice or any diagnosis or anything like that. And he just said, hey, I got this other, I got this other guy. Based on what you're telling me, I think this guy's gonna be able to help you more. And he referred me over there. And I said, well, you know. We went through all the logistics of insurance. He said, "Yeah, man, you got five more. Meet with this guy. Just see what you, what happens." So about I don't know about a week and a half later, I go and I meet I go and meet this other this other therapist. Go in and he kind of gives me kind of this. The first meeting was you know a little a little cold, a little clinical. Kind of went through all these things. I was thinking, man, I'm just here because I, I just don't want to be a jerk anymore. You know, <laughs> I don't, don't want to be you know. This this monster that that I've become, and we went through it, and he was like, he, he was kind of chatting with me, he's a real nice guy, and he was just like, hey man, just be honest, you can come here and say whatever awful things that go through your head, whatever problems you're having, and like he kind of just said, all right, great. So he takes the sheets of paper of everything I filled out, and I came back the next time, and we started going over, it, and he started breaking down these feelings and started kind of explaining. He said, he said, I'm not I'm not sure, you know what, you know, you know, we're gonna talk more, but. He's like, just looking at this, he's like, he's like, you know that, like, depression is like a real thing. And I was kind of, I wasn't, like, raised overtly opposed to the idea, but I always thought, ah, man, that's not true. It's just in your head, man. I'm, I'm just trying to kind of shake the, the, you know, at this point, you know, 15 years of blues that I've had in my life, you know. And um, he's like, no, man. He's like, 
he's like some people he's like he's like you don't know what your parents deal with you don't know he's like this stuff is biological man there's there's be stuff wrong with your you know there's something could be off in your brain he's like he's like he's like it's tough it's tough to be alive man like just relax because then I got kind of I felt I don't know I felt kind of naked because I've been talking to this guy I told him all my problems now he's telling me that it could be you know mental illness that's been causing these problems in my life and. I wished I could go back and do that again, but I got like embarrassed. It was like someone seeing you naked, you know. You're like, I, I felt exposed. Like, man, I was like, man, I, I talked to this guy, I told him everything. I was honest with someone, you know, because you know when when you do have these problems, you're not very honest a lot of times to people. I was 100% honest with this guy, and I felt like he had kind of betrayed me by saying that maybe there's something wrong with me, which is exactly what everyone around me probably thought. But I. I was just too deep in it to be able to see, you know, and kind of said, "All right, man, I'll I'll see you when I see you." You know, he's like, he's like, "Well, hey, just let's just put in another meeting next week. Spend the week, you think it over, see if this is, you know, and if you want to come, good. If not, just call me the night before, and we can go from there." I said, "All right." So I left, and you know, at this point, you know. <laughs> My my wife and my child have moved out of the house. I'm all by myself. And, you know, I kind of drop, you know, drop a line to, you know, people around me and kind of mention they're like, well, you know, hey, Blaine, you know, you're kind of a jerk, man. Like, <laughs> it definitely wouldn't hurt if you at least tried to curb that, you know. Like, maybe, you know, like, people people kind of dropped in. like, maybe it's time, you know, you know, and, and I remember... You know, my mother saying, "Well, you know, if the guy can help you get happy, like, why are you, why are you acting like he, like he's the problem?" You know, I thought, "All right, well, I'll go back." So, so I go back, and he just started. I don't know. He let he let me talk, and you know, like I said before, you know, being honest when when you have had problems with you know clinical depression and. So they, it's it's hard to be honest because you know always, and no matter who you are, you know who you are at, at the end of the day. But admitting that and just going through these things, I mean, he eventually, uh, eventually, you know, over time, you know, I ran out of those meetings. Guy cuts me a great deal because my insurance isn't going to cover anymore. And we get to the we get to the problem, and you know, he's like, man, he's like, these, these are all things that we can work on. And uh, from there, I mean, it was this um, amazing relationship with uh, with this gentleman that we started just working, man. He gave me like things, like ways to kind of control my myself, ways to you know build myself up from this kind of hole I dug myself in. I mean, and it was also great too because I never just had someone just to show up and just be like, I'm so you know, say like. You know, just something goes through your head. I can just say it. There's like no judgment, whether he judged me or not. It didn't matter. He just, he wasn't gonna. He, he never broke. You know, he never broke character and developed a, a strange kind of friendship. And um, going through that, it was amazing. Just exercises, just ways to figure out how to, you know, look inside and not judge everything through this filter that essentially is sick, be able to really turn back and look to myself and, and say like, okay, this is where, you know, where I'm acting, these are, these are my actions, what do I want to be? You know, we focused a lot on, you know, 
something that I claim to this day, like my goal in life now is being that person that I know that I am. It's almost like reclaiming 30, you know, you know not for me, 30, about 20 years of just kind of lost time of like who, who am I really? I've been going through this whole thing where I, I, I just honest to God, I'm 30, at this point, you know, I'm 30-something 30, 30 years old, and I don't know who the hell I am. And uh, it's just moving through that, it, it, it was like a huge just veil lifted where I could finally just look at things without at least not as much of, of that subjective side that I developed and that, that selfishness. It was truly changed my life. And through that, I was able to kind of rebuild my relationship with my ex-wife. Uh, we're, we're best friends to this day. It was a lot of a, you know, went around, you know, just got back with a lot of people that I had severed relationships with, tr you know, tried to earn back that trust and, 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 and that intimacy that I had lost with them. And truly for once, and for many times I tried to run away and kind of reestablish who I was, I was finally doing it. And, and it was a life-changing experience. Everything went really great up until about about 18 months ago. Out of the blue, <clears throat> my uh, just sorry, my my father passed uh, very immediately. Uh, my father and I have always been incredibly close, and uh, <clears throat> losing him. It was like everything that I had built up just shut down immediately. I, I couldn't process. All all that I wanted to do was just crawl into back into this hole. I just it, it was like everything had shifted over over. I mean, but my life was literally shifted overnight. And I was thinking, well, you know, hey, you know, hey, Doc, you didn't. I don't have. I don't have anything for this. I don't have a coping mechanism. I can't do a mantra in my head. I can't leave stickers reminding myself of my value and things like that. You know, none of this is going to keep my dad from being dead. You know, and you know, having to, you know, tell my mother dad's dead, you know, and I just felt it. But through all all of that, I remembered like all the work we had done. And as soon as I started to just kind of fade away and just kind of start turning back in, into and give into that depression, it was like I just almost went running back to my therapist. And I was like, hey, you've mentioned this before. Let's, let's talk about the next step. And I don't, I don't know what people's opinions are of this or not. But he had told me before that there's a certain point that I'm going to get to in life where the, man, the mantras and everything is going to help, but it was the first time that I'd ever tried a medication that they, <laughs> that they prescribed me. They prescribed me a few things. And I know it sounds weird to, to talk about it, but just a, a, a little bit of medicine a day, it was life-changing. It helped me be able to work through my father's death, which I'm still working through. It, 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 it took enough of that 
self-deprecating weight off of me to be able to move and to be able to, you know, help my mother when she needed me, to be able to go back to work, to be able to, you know, because, you know, people, people die, parents die, important people in your life die, but you gotta, you got to keep moving. And I was always incredibly against this idea of taking medication. I, I, I don't know why. I always kind of, it kind of went against like, oh man, I'm stronger than that. I've, I've never, you know, I've never been addicted to anything but you know, cigarettes and coffee. So I never thought, oh gosh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna need this medication. I, almost in my mind, I thought it was almost like, I don't know, like a, a sissy move or something like that. And I mean, but man, trusting. Trusting this guy who'd invested, you know, years in me, and, and for anyone who is going through depression, things like that, man, find someone you trust and just throw it all in there because I knew that he wasn't going to do anything to hurt me. You know, it's like he wasn't trying to, you know, get me addicted to drugs or take away my personality or or my my create my creativity. He understood. He knew that I'd hit a point in my life where I needed something to help reset. And it was life-changing. Absolutely life once I Once I was able to kind of get that weight off of me and be able to kind of give over to, you know, those fears and everything that I had attached to the, the medication, I was... It, it really was kind of a new lease on life because, I mean, when you lose someone close to you, you do end up, things things change, your your priorities change, you know, you, you start looking at, at the at the clock, you know, like, oh my gosh, how much, how long do I have left? And I started looking at that and that's when I really started, you know, doing much heavier on the podcast, you know, that I was already doing with, uh, with Justin, with Grindhouse Messiah and started pouring myself more into this and started realizing like, man, like the stress of work and all these things, it's not gonna, it's not gonna matter in 40 years, you know, like I, I will, and just kind of having the, the combination of this lease on life, kind of realizing how short everything could be. I mean, my father, he wasn't even 60 years old. He never had heart problems. He just, he just died. And once, you know, once I got back, you know, with, you know, with my therapist, I, I started taking new medication. I mean, it just, the person I became just amplified, and I felt like I was getting closer and closer to that person I always thought that I was. Not, you know, not, you know, not the guy who thought he was great and talked to other people and realized, oh, no, I'm just a jerk. I'm, I'm you know, I'm kind of a bully to everyone around me. I, I was able to kind of give into that and, you know, pouring my time, you know, into the podcast, in, into writing more into working for, you know, you know, taking jobs, working on a film festival that I do, and, and, and spending that time, it was amazing. I, it was truly the first time that I felt like I was finally on some sort of path. I wasn't just floundering. I wasn't just searching out for something that was going to make me feel better or get people to, you know, give me some kind of approval or... It was like I was just finally me. It was, and some people may go, uh, "That's that's a vague term," but I mean, if you've ever been in that position, you understand that feeling where you're just like, you feel fulfilled. You get that joy back, and that was something that was 
I cannot express how free that felt. You know, oh my gosh, this is who I am. This is the person that I was. I felt like I was finally in the position of where I was meant to be. And I mean, with that, my, my relationship with my son got closer. We, you know, be, you know, understand my priorities. You know, hey, work can wait. I need to spend this time that I have with you know with my eight year old son, and just kind of shifted everything. Complete kind of paradigm shift where. All those extra extra stress, all those distractions, I, I kind of things lined up, and I was able to see what was important. Um, I, I can't express enough, especially I know among men, it's it's not always ingrained in us to go and talk to someone, get help, or you know, accept you know you know suggestions from people. There's some sort of masculine aspect, even someone like myself who doesn't like fancy himself like a manly man or anything along those lines, I mean, it's important. If, if your life is miserable, if your insides constantly tell you how miserable you are, talk to somebody, man. Just find someone. Most, a lot of us have, if you got insurance, that some people don't, go find free counseling. If you got insurance, Talk to them, find someone you trust, and figure it out. I mean, it may not be all depression. Just may you may just need someone to talk to. You know, not everybody, nobody's the same. But I just I urge people to to check that out and uh, just really appreciate Josh giving me a chance to kind of talk through this. I hope I, I wasn't too scatterbrained or all over the place. Uh, but thank you everyone for you know taking some time to listen. And uh, if you if you ever want to reach out to us, you know, you can find uh, the the uh, Grindhouse Messiah podcast on, you know, Twitter under Grindhouse Messiah, uh, as well as my Twitter, Mondo underscore McLaren. Um, if you want to talk movies, BS, or just, or or you're going through stuff, man, I'm, I don't have answers, but I'll listen. So uh, thank you again, and um, you guys take care of yourself. Bye. Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.